Hey Future Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. And I'm Andy. And we are the hosts of Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Each week, we'll dive into some of the most unnerving crimes that this unnatural world has to offer. Listen for Unnatural on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I'm Dee Dee West. And I'm Summer. And this is Broken Limelight. So this is going to be a short episode because I've got a lot going on this week. First of all, um, I'm writing a book. It's called Broken Limelight, Shocking True Crime Stories About Celebrities. It's going to cover a lot of the same episodes I've discussed already on this podcast, so you might already know them if you've listened to all of these episodes. But maybe you know somebody who's just not a podcast person, and that's okay. But maybe somebody you know would like to read the book. The ebook and the paper book will be available on Amazon this weekend, and very soon it'll be on Barnes & Noble and other platforms. Anyway, if you're interested, just follow me on my social media pages or on the website, brokenlimelight.com, and I will for sure post a link for you to purchase the book. Also, um, my band is playing tomorrow, again, depending on when you hear this, <laughs> on Friday, August 19th. And it's a free show, so if you're in Las Vegas, come on down. And if you're not in Vegas, well, that's okay, because I'm going to be live streaming it on Facebook Live. So make sure you follow me, Dee Dee West, on Facebook and catch some of our show. Lastly, I hope you guys caught our last episodes about Bill Cosby, including the interview with Lisa Lott Lublin. You guys, I can't even tell you how amazing it was to talk to Lisa and her husband, Benjamin. They're the nicest people and just so passionate about what they're doing. And Lisa totally gives favorite teacher vibes. Okay, so today we're going to talk about Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. I'm sure everybody remembers their drama, but in case you don't, Pam and Tommy are known for a sex tape that was stolen from their home and distributed for the entire world to see. It was the very first celebrity sex tape scandal, and it caused a lot of turmoil in their relationship and in Pamela's career. A few months back, I mentioned that I was watching the show Pam and Tommy on Hulu. It's actually surprisingly accurate. Um, the timeline follows it pretty closely. When you watch the show, you might think that Pam and Tommy's relationship seems kind of sped up, like for television purposes. But in reality, they've moved at a pretty impressive pace. Again, I highly recommend it after you listen to this episode. It stars Lily James and Sebastian Stan as Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. Seth Rogen is also in it. He plays Rand Godier. That's the contractor who stole the tape from them. In case you've already seen the show, I'm going to try to point out the things that the show portrayed differently so that you can actually separate what's fact and what was just for the show. Pamela Anderson was born July 1st, 1967 in Ladysmith, British Columbia. She was known for her work with Playboy and the show Baywatch, but she also held roles on sitcoms and movies. Pamela revealed in 2014 that she had suffered sexual abuse as a child. Between the ages 6 and 10, she was molested by a female babysitter. 
At 12, she was raped by a 25-year-old man. And at 14, she was gang raped by her boyfriend and six of his friends. Oh, my God. Pamela played on the volleyball team in high school, and she graduated in 1985. In 86, she moved to Vancouver and became a fitness instructor. Did you know she was Canadian? Um, n- no. In 1989, Pamela attended a football game at the BC Play Stadium in Vancouver, where she was featured on the Jumbotron wearing a Labatt's Beer t-shirt. The brewing company briefly hired her as a spokesmodel. Her then-boyfriend, Dan, produced a poster of her image, and he titled it Blue Zone Girl. In 1989, she made the cover of Playboy magazine's October issue, and then she moved to Los Angeles to pursue a modeling career. She was Playboy of the Month in February 1995. Her Playboy career spans 22 years, and she's appeared on more Playboy covers than any other model. Hmm. 22 years. Yeah, that's a long time. To be a, to, I mean, for anybody to be that attractive for 22 years to be on Playboy's cover, you know? Yeah. It's like insane. They, they phase you out after a certain Absolutely. Time. She grew interested in acting, and she got a role in Home Improvement. She left the show to work on Baywatch. Tommy Lee was born on October 3rd, 1962 in Athens, Greece. He was the drummer and one of the founding members of the band Motley Crue. He got his first pair of drumsticks at just four years old and his first proper drum kit as a teenager. He dropped out of high school to pursue a career in music. As a teenager, he listened to Led Zeppelin, Van Halen, Cheap Trick, Kiss, ACDC, and Sweet, which that happens to be exactly the type of bands that I listen to. In 1981, Tommy Lee and Nikki Six joined Vince Neil and Mick Mars, and they formed the band Motley Crue. Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee first met on New Year's Eve 1994 at a Hollywood club called Sanctuary. Pam sent shots of Goldschlager to everyone at the club. Tommy Lee was drunk and on ecstasy, so he took this as an invitation to approach Pamela, grab her face, and lick it from her chin to her forehead. So Pamela then turned to her girlfriend and licked her face, and then she turned and did it to another friend, and it became a chain reaction. Pamela thought that Tommy seemed really cool and friendly and nice, but when Tommy asked for her number, her friend Melody warned her to stay away from him. Pamela agreed it was a bad idea, but after asking 10 times, she finally gave him her phone number. They spent about six weeks playing phone tag, and when they finally arranged a date, Tommy purchased $400 worth of sex toys and costumes. Pamela forgot about the date because she had to go on a work trip to Cancun. He wanted to go to Cancun to see her, but she asked him not to. He, of course, didn't listen and instead called every hotel in the area until he figured out where she was staying. Kind of pushy, but okay. Yeah, a little stalker issue. When he got there, Pamela's friends were now encouraging her to go out with him since he clearly put a lot of effort into wooing her. They went out to Senior Frogs and they felt a magical connection and this time they were not on drugs, so they were really excited that that spark came back. Tommy convinced her to spend the night with him, and they spent the next four days partying and having sex. Four days after that first night together, they were married on the beach on February 19, 1995. Pamela wore a white bikini, and after sharing their vows, they ran into the ocean together. Instead of getting wedding bands, they tattooed each other's names on their fingers. Tommy would also later get Pamela tattooed on his infamous penis. (laughs) You didn't know that? It is infamous. It was just on Instagram. It's trending right now, Summer. It wasn't until their plane ride home that they both processed everything they had just done. They just married like a total stranger and now they had to like go home together. Yeah, that would be really awkward. Yeah, and when they arrived in Los Angeles, a barrage of paparazzi and reporters was waiting for them. 
They went on their honeymoon in the summer of 1995, and this is where the infamous sex tape was made. However, they didn't make the film intending for it to be a sex tape. It was more like a vacation video that included a lot of intimate moments between newlyweds. Like, this wasn't ever intended for anybody to see. It was like... Personal. It was personal, exactly. It was like a vacation video where they were both naked because they were on their honeymoon. Unfortunately, a contractor and electrician named Ran Godier had it out for Tommy Lee and stole the sex tape from them. Ran Godier had been hired to perform renovations on Tommy Lee's house. Reportedly, Tommy Lee owed the construction crew about $20,000 and refused to pay them, and then he fired them. When Rand and another contractor went back to pick up the equipment they left behind, Tommy held a shotgun up to them and said, get the fuck off my property. Rand never had a gun pointed at him, and it really messed with his head. He wanted revenge. Rand Godier was a guy who felt small his entire life. He lost his virginity to a hooker on his 18th birthday. He also lived in the shadows of his father, who was a Broadway actor. He grew up in Toluca Lake, across the street from Dick Van Dyke, his parents were divorced and he had no access to pornography growing up. When he was young, his mother became a Jehovah's Witness and forced him to go door to door with her, inspiring his lifelong obsession with religions, secret societies, and cults. And Rand was kind of like, kind of a beefcake. Like he was muscly and tan and um, he actually performed in a few pornographic films. Although he did say that he wished he had a bigger package for the pornographic films he said that women did like to have anal sex with him, though, because it wasn't that big. <laughs> okay. After Tommy held the gun up to Rand and humiliated him, he decided to rob them. He spent the entire summer of 1995 hanging around outside of their home, plotting, basically stalking them. He was also the one who installed their security camera, so he knew that they would pick up anything unusual. One night in October 1995, at 3 in the morning, he snuck onto the property with the white furry rug on his back, and he crawled on all fours because the couple had a big furry white dog. So he knew that he could trick the camera into thinking that this was nothing weird. And then once he snuck in, he could disable the cameras. So before he could steal the safe, it was actually like behind a carpeted wall. And in order to get behind the wall, he had to move like hundreds of pounds worth of like recording equipment. So he had to do all of this at three in the morning while Pam and, and um, while Pam and Tommy are upstairs sleeping. So he managed to do it. He it's like a big six foot tall safe and he leaned it onto a dolly and rolled it out. And then once he got somewhere safe, he spent over an hour trying to break into it. He didn't know that the safe contained this tape. Nobody knew this tape existed. He knew that there was going to be like jewelry and guns in there. Pamela's white bikini from her wedding was in there. But like, like I said, nobody knew this tape exists existed except the two of them. Right. He just struck gold. Right, so Rand saw this tape and he saw dollar signs. He took it to his friend Milton Ingley, who was a pornographic film actor and producer who helped him make copies of the tape and then destroy the original. That way there was no evidence of who had the actual tape. Right. They approached several companies to have the tape distributed, but nobody was willing to take on the risk because Pam and Tommy had not signed a release. They eventually approached a guy named Lou Pereno. That name might sound familiar if you listen to our episode about Linda Lovelace. Lou Pereno was known for financing and distributing pornographic films when it was still widely illegal in the United States. For example, the 1972 film Deep Throat starring Linda Lovelace. Pereno was also involved in organized crime, but even he wasn't comfortable distributing Pam and Tommy's sex tape in an official capacity. 
So instead, he lent Ingley roughly $50,000 to cover manufacturing and distribution of the tape on the internet with the expectation that he would receive interest on the loan and a cut of the sales. The internet was brand spanking new, so it still wasn't very attractive or very fast, and video streaming was completely non-existent. However, it was very anonymous, and this made it the perfect black market to distribute the tape. So Milton Ingley used some of the money to make copies of the tape and hire somebody to put up a few websites. The sites didn't show the video itself, but it gave instructions to send a money order for $59.95 to a t-shirt company, which would then funnel the money to a bank account in Amsterdam. Rand took care of shipping the tapes while Ingley enjoyed the rest of the money from the loan to get himself a room at the plaza in New York, enjoying expensive champagne, escorts, and lots of cocaine. Another guy named Steve who was working with them caught on to the fact that there wasn't going to be any money coming into them, so he ran off with some of the tapes and sold them out of the trunk of his car for $175 each. He sold nearly 500 copies, making about $75,000. Oh, wow. And he tried to tell Rand to do the same thing, and Rand, I guess... Thought he was being loyal? Right. Pam and Tommy didn't even realize that the safe was missing until January 1996. They actually found out that Pam was pregnant around the same time as the robbery. The couple had already suffered a miscarriage and they were so excited to be expecting again. I'm sure that this was one of the reasons it took a while for them to to check it. They filed a police report and hired Hollywood private investigator Anthony Pelicano to suss out what happened. They were able to track down Ingley, who admitted he had a copy of the tape, but he claimed that he bought it from a guy named Warren Swing, who was an interior designer. Swing and a friend were hanging out at his bachelor pad when Pelicano showed up one night wearing a white suit and immediately shoved Swing down onto the ground. Swing was like, what's up, dude? Who the fuck are you? Pelicano was like, just tell me. We know you did it. We know you took the tape. After a short interrogation, Pelicano realized that Swing knew absolutely nothing and he ended up leaving. Soon after, Steve was at Ingley's studio doing some work with a porn director named Bobby Bouchard when all of a sudden they heard motorcycles revving outside. Then five or six big bikers burst into the room and pointed a shotgun at his testicles. They were looking for Rand and Ingley and the tape. The bikers started coming by the studio every few days, sometimes twice a day, looking for Rand and Ingley. If Rand was there when they heard the motorcycles coming, he and Steve would run to the roof and jump down onto the top of the auto body shop next door. Steve lived two blocks away, so if they could make it out of a side door, they were safe. According to Rand, Tommy Lee sent out one of his porn star friends named Candy Vegas, and her and her friend went over to Rand's house to try to seduce him into giving him back the tape. But there were so many copies of the tape that there was no point. There was nothing anybody could do to stop it from spreading. With so many people after him in the stolen tape, Rand grew increasingly paranoid and he hardly slept. He started crashing at the home of a porn director who went by the name Fred Lincoln. Fred used to manage an adult theater that was owned by the Perenos. Rand stayed with them for almost an entire year, sleeping in Fred's daughter's room while she slept in her parents' room. She was a kindergartner, so Rand was literally sleeping in a red bunk bed with a hunchback of Notre Dame blanket. Pamela Anderson gave birth to her first son, Brandon Thomas Lee, on June 5, 1996. He was born with the help of a midwife in the same bedroom where he was conceived. He says, that was hands down the best day of my life. And half an hour later, I sat down at the piano and the song Brandon just came out of me. Just as Tommy and Pamela began to realize that the tape was spreading faster than they could contain it, they got word that Penthouse had acquired a copy. A lawyer for Penthouse promised the magazine wouldn't publish any images from the tape, but they still started to panic. 
On March 29, 1996, they filed a $10 million civil lawsuit against everyone they thought might have a copy, including Penthouse, Ingley, Godier, and Swing. The next day, there was news vans parked outside of Ingley's studio and Swing's parents' house. Everybody wanted to know about the sex tape that had been stolen from one of the most famous couples in the world. So Pam and Tommy put in a request for a temporary restraining order for Penthouse, and the judge denied it. Apparently, the judge thought that because the video was already out there, this was considered newsworthy. I mean, Penthouse wasn't the only one with the video, you know, so they're, all they're doing is reporting on something that's already out there. Yeah, but there's no consent. So Penthouse Magazine put out a student issue that let out all the details about it. It was, like, really, really uh, descriptive. It also included, like, quoted exchanges, like things that they said each other to each other in the tape. They didn't have the copyright permission to use the stills from the tape, so instead they illustrated the article with stolen Polaroids that had been published abroad. Oh, wow. The legalities of this are so weird. Like, if somebody else published it first, I guess it's okay. That's what it seems like, you know? They're just reporting on something that's already out there. In August, a different L.A. judge refused to grant the Lees a permanent injunction against Penthouse, largely because it's unheard of for a court to bar a media outlet from publishing something before it has done so. Because they were suing them just in case they release it, oh. basically. And they were like, they haven't even done it yet. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Plus, since Pam Anderson had posed nude several times and because the two discussed their sex life in interviews, Penthouse's lawyer argued that the couple had forfeited their privacy rights regarding the video's content. Which is bullshit. Yeah. Again, Pam and Tommy were not making a sex tape. They were filming private moments between a married couple. Like, I don't care how many times Pamela showed her body in magazines and on TV. That does not mean that the whole world has a right to their intimate moments. She never consented to losing her rights forever and ever, you know? Right, exactly. Since Penthouse had received the tape from a source and nobody from the magazine had been directly involved in the burglary, they figured that writing about its contents was fair game. Plus, the tape included some footage of Pamela Anderson rolling a joint, and she had once told the magazine that she didn't do drugs, so the tape itself was now considered newsworthy. Oh. Who cares? <laughs> I'm saying. Lots and lots of people. So, show, so allow them to show the part of her rolling a joint, you know? Why do they have to see her talking to Tommy Lee's dick? You know what I mean? Right. Even if you're, like, a porn actress, it's completely different from, like, the intimate things that you might do with your husband and the things you might say, you know? However, because Pamela and Tommy shot the film themselves, they were able to retain copyright over the tape. So Penthouse held off on printing the stills or selling the tape even after they won the case. In October 1996, Tommy Lee was charged with assaulting a, a paparazzi. He and Pamela were at a club when photographers started harassing them and pepper spraying them on their way out of the club. They were pepper spraying Tommy and Pam? I don't, I don't understand why. You said that right. Yeah, you did. Tommy and Pam. <laughs> Tommy allegedly threw a cameraman to the ground and the scuffle was caught on tape. And the photographer thrown to the ground dislocated his hip as a result of the attack. Lou Pereno started wondering about when he would see his money. With Pam and Tommy's attorneys coming from one direction and the biker gang coming from another, England decided to get the hell out of New York. He went to the Netherlands, leaving Rand to deal with all of their debts. But once a few orders went out, it became apparent that if Ingley and Godier could steal a tape and sell it through a website without a copyright or conventional distribution network, couldn't somebody else just buy one from them and do the same thing? Right. 
A wave of copycat websites started appearing in late 1996, including NakedCelebs.com, PamWatch.com, and BobsNudeCelebs.com. Profits slowed, and Ingley grew desperate. Pereno still needed to be paid. Rand says that Ingley managed to get the initial loan back to him, but he still owed the interest. Ingley knew that Pereno had cancer, and he kind of thought that if he waited in Europe for long enough, Pereno would just die and the debt would disappear. Pereno was convinced that Ingley was hiding money, but he wasn't sure if Rand was getting a cut of it or if he was just bringing, like, hundreds of tapes to the post office for nearly a year without seeing any money. So one night, Pereno invited Rand over for dinner. Over linguine and oysters, he snuck teaspoons of sherry into Rand's Merlot when he thought he wasn't looking. And then after dinner, he brought out Bing Cherry soaked in Everclear. Before long, Rand was wasted, and Pereno was firing question after question at him. He was like, where's the money? Where are you guys hiding it? Fortunately for Rand, he was able to convince Pereno that he didn't do anything wrong. He was just like a victim in all of this, like completely unknowing. Right. But Pereno decided that he needed to work to pay back the money that Ingley owed him. So he had Rand deliver messages to some of the other people who owed him money. Soon he was working collections for the mob to pay off his own debt. The court issued an injunction against Ingley in, in early October of 1997, ordering him to stop copying and selling the tape. But he didn't care. He sent out his batch of orders in September, and suddenly, L.A. was abundant with bootlegs. The tape got in the hands of 25-year-old Seth Warshawski, who was developing early versions of pay-per-click ads, streaming video, and online credit card processing. So this was the guy who like saw the internet and was like, dollar signs, I'm going to get everything out of this. He had a site called Club Love where he claimed to have live nude performers. He would become the founder of IEG, which was Internet Entertainment Group. And yet pretty much everyone in the adult entertainment industry despised him. He was a Weasley guy who wrote bad checks and he owed a lot of people a lot of money. Warshawski got a hold of the tape and on November 3rd, 1997, he issued a press release announcing that he intended to broadcast the video online. He never thought that he would actually be able to show the tape. He merely wanted the publicity that would come with the announcement. And he also knew that a lawsuit was inevitable, but he wanted that. He knew that it was going to bring attention to him. Right. On November 6th, the judge refused to issue an injunction against him. And the following day, Warshawski aired the tape on Club Love on a loop for five hours. The internet was brand new. And while a lot of people still didn't have it, they went and got the internet so they could watch this. And it's one of the first videos to be streamed. And it wasn't just a sex tape and it wasn't just Pam Anderson. It was like, it was cute and romantic, you know? People felt like it was, it was intimate. Like, you know, like they really, really there. You were exactly, exactly. So people just loved this. They thought it was, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. By now, Pamela and Tommy were exhausted. It seemed like everyone in Los Angeles had seen the tape. Like every time Pamela thought it was over with, it would pop up again. She would see it or hear of it somewhere. The never-ending series of depositions was invasive and stressful, and it did nothing to stop the tape's distribution. Plus, they had a baby now, and Pamela was also seven months pregnant with her second child. His name was Dylan Jagger Lee, and he would be born in December 1997. So they decided to settle. Pam and Tommy were under the false impression that they could give Warshawski permission to show the tape on the internet, And the tape would not be allowed to be sold in stores. But that wasn't true. Plus, they completely underestimated the reach of the internet. Warshawski lawyer prepared the broadest possible release, hoping to get the couple to sign away their copyright over the video. 
And they did. And the lawyer was shocked. He was like, I can't believe they would sign us, but they did. Hmm. Within days, anybody who bought a subscription to the Club Love had access to the tape. Warshawski also worked out a deal with Stephen Hirsch, who was the owner of Vivid Entertainment, to manufacture VHS, DVD, and CD-ROM copies. So by February of 1998, anybody could walk into the adult video store and pick one up. They sold hundreds of thousands of copies over the next few years. Did Pam and Tommy make money off of that? So they say that they didn't. They say that they didn't make a single penny off of it. But it's interesting. Ron Jeremy says that he once asked Pamela, like, hey, like, you got some kind of secret deal out of that, right? Like, why would you sign it over and lose all that money? And he was like, You're, are you making money off of that? And she just smiled and said, well, you know. And for people who worked at the adult film stores, this was like a phenomenon. Like, they were just minding their own business. And then all of a sudden, this sex tape comes along and just like made them bank, you know? And it became huge. That was just the first. That was just the beginning, you know? Warshawski was even able to chase down copyright violators on the web, getting them to pay him a licensing fee for permission to stream the tape. Tommy Lee had quite a temper, and after Dylan was born, he was really struggling with being number three in Pamela's life. In 1998, Tommy Lee attacked Pamela Anderson while she was holding their seven-week-old son, Dylan. He kicked her backside and left her with bruises and a broken nail, and their son, Brandon witnessed everything, and he must have been, like, a year old. Oh, wow. Pamela had Tommy arrested, and he was sentenced to six months in jail for felony spousal abuse. Pamela then filed for divorce. In 2000, the Guinness Book of World Records declared Pamela Anderson the most downloaded star of all time. Millions of websites that had no content related to Pam or Tommy would include the name Pamela Anderson in their meta tags just to boost traffic. Angley was back in Amsterdam seething, how dare Warshawski and Hirsch make money off of his tape? He completely lost control when he left the country and somebody else picked up where he left off. Rand also made absolutely no money off the tape. His eyes would well up every time he heard somebody mention it. Plus, he was really into, like, spirituality and karma, and I think he really didn't anticipate, like, how this was going to fuck over Pam Anderson. Right. So, like I said, Pam and Tommy were seemingly furious when they found out that their tape was being sold in, store, in stores, but it is theorized that maybe they got, they made a, a, like a private deal under the table to get a cut of the, of the proceeds, of the proceeds, of the profits. <laughs> um, it's not charity work. I know. <laughs> and, like, if she, if she did, who could blame her? Like, all the lawyers and all the judges were shrugging and saying that there was nothing to be done. The tapes were out. There's no going back. Her private moments were exposed to the entire world without her permission. So cashing in on it may have seemed like the best possible option. Yeah, if everybody is going to see it anyways, you may as well make some money off of it. I would. Why should other people? Right. Why should other people profit? By 2022, when the federal suit reached court, Warshawski had moved to Bangkok. He and his business practices were being investigated by the FBI and Department of Justice. A judge ordered his defunct company to pay Pamela and Tommy $740,000 each. Unfortunately, the couple never got that money. Both Ingley and Godier left porn for good after the sex tape debacle. Pereno died of cancer in 1999, and Ingley returned to California disheveled and broke. He moved in with his daughter until he died. Rand Godier distanced himself from the porn industry, tired of his friends assuming that he was hiding a small fortune somewhere. He began focusing on his electrical work full-time before moving up the coast to grow marijuana. Every once in a while, he'll tell somebody that he was the guy who stole the tape from Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee. 
but almost nobody believes him. Still, he likes the fact that he contributed this small token to the world, and he's always enjoyed watching the tape itself. Yeah, I'm sure he did. He says, it was cute. They're in love and a couple, and they're just having fun with each other, and I think that's great. I'm jealous. I wish I had something like that. Today, he acknowledges that in his attempt to destroy Tommy Lee, he inadvertently made his career. The guy who originally delivered the tape to Warshawski, his name was Court St. George. He ended up managing and then taking control of the web and pay-per-view rights to the video in 2003. But in 2011, he let the license lapse. He says that he feels like there's just a lot of bad karma around the video as his marriage started to dissolve after he brought the tape to Seattle. Pamela Anderson's reputation suffered a lot following the release of the tape. While Tommy Lee was praised for his gigantic penis, Pamela turned into the butt of jokes. In 2002, she announced that she had contracted hepatitis C from sharing tattoo needles with Tommy Lee. In 2007, she revealed that she and Tommy would still get together and have sex after the divorce. And in 2008, they announced that they were rekindling their relationship. Unfortunately, that was short-lived and they split for good in 2010. In 2018, Tommy Lee got into an altercation with his son, Brandon, who was 21 at the time. Tommy Lee was upset because he felt that Pamela was rehashing old drama from 20 years ago, referring to his assault on her in 1998. Brandon apparently felt the need to defend his mother, and he knocked Tommy out. According to Brandon, the whole thing stemmed from Tommy Lee's alcoholism, and they were genuinely concerned about him. Tommy and Brandon have since patched things up. Pamela told The Hollywood Reporter, the kids are adults, and they make their own decisions. I look at the differences in their personalities and their fearlessness and their ambition and their clarity, and I'm just so proud of both of them. She still speaks really highly of Tommy Lee, despite their differences. She talks about how they were so in love and they created two of the most beautiful people she could ever imagine. I always wonder if their relationship would have lasted if not for the sex tape. I mean, Tommy Lee did have trouble controlling his temper, so perhaps their marriage was doomed from the beginning. But... They did have a lot of love for each other, and their circumstances made it impossible for the relationship to thrive. At least, if not for the sex tape, maybe they could have been a happy family for a little bit longer. It's just such a shame that the 54 minutes that they shared in this loving bliss was ripped from their possession and then came back to bite them in the ass. Yeah, it should have never happened. And that's it for today. Don't forget to check out BrokenLimelight.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as episodes, no, as well as photos and videos relating to it. If you'd like to suggest a case for me to cover or you'd like to leave a comment for us, you can also do that on BrokenLimelight.com. If you follow our Patreon, you can get all of our new episodes 48 hours before they become available to the public. You can do that for just $1 a month, and it means the world to us. We'll also give you a shout out on the podcast. And if you'd like to be a little extra supportive, you can sign up to support us for $3 a month. And with that, I will also send you a handwritten thank you card. If you're not subscribed to my YouTube, go ahead and do that. You'll have access to all the Broken Limelight episodes as well as all of my performance clips. One more thing, if you like this podcast, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. That's the best way to help us get out there. Well, that and, you know, tell your friends. Okay, bye. Bye. Bark box, bark box, bark box, bark box. You guys know my dogs, Jude and Eleanor Rigby. Well, we just started getting them bark box, and I'm telling you, your dogs will love you. No more are they angry at the mailman. No more, I say. 
It's like a box of dog joy that's delivered every month, and each box tells a different story with different themed toys, treats, and photo-worthy props. Typically, what we get in each box is a couple of toys, a couple of treats, and a chew, but you can actually tailor fit your box to fit your dog's needs. Guys, I'm telling you, your dogs will love you, even more than they already do. So try it out, and if you use my link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox, which is a $35 value. So just head to BarkBox.com slash Broken Limelight and get started on your first BarkBox today. Nailed it, Jude.